There once was conference held online that helped me reach some goals of mine. The crack was great, the speakers best, oh, fundraising everywhere go. Ha! Soon may we learn from home with pets and tea and people we know. One day to better yourself, we'll learn so much and grow. Welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast, where we give you a glimpse into one of our amazing webinars or conferences. You can check out one of our full sessions and get a 50% discount by using the code FEPODCAST at fundraisingeverywhere.com. Yep, just head to the Fundraising Everywhere website and use the code FEPODCAST at the checkout to get 50% off any of our sessions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fundraising Everywhere podcast. This is Simon Scriper here. Uh, you are very welcome uh, to join us again. If you haven't listened to our podcast before, we do a mix of stuff. We listen to training sessions. Uh, we talk about what's going on in the sector. We talk about the latest news. Uh, but today, what I've got, I've, I've got two of my favorite people in the sector to come in and chat to me um, because I know they're two people who have very strong opinions on, on many things. Um, but also there are two people that I kind of look up to as, as um, I mean, I, well, I don't like, I don't like the phrase thought leaders and I don't want to give you guys big heads, but just you, you, you come out with these opinions and thoughts, which at the, you know, I would say I agree most of the time, not all the time. Um, but you all, you both always make me think, uh, and you always kind of make me really kind of question what we're doing in the charity sector and fundraising. Um, and so I really wanted to kind of get you guys together and, um, and, and, and just kind of pick your brains a little bit. So the two the two guests I've got with me today, I've got Martha Awajabi uh, from JMB Consulting. Um, but actually, Martha Martha's more than just a consultant. I don't know what you are, Martha, but you're everywhere. I'm and, a force uh, of nature. You're a force <laughs> of nature, yeah. And you can't yeah. help but listen to your voice echo <laughs> on the wind. Um, and so, so I mean, we we love Martha at fundraising everywhere. So Martha has very happily joined us, or or very kindly joined us. Happily yeah. and kindly. Happily and kindly. <laughs> and then we've also got Mr. Sam Butler, who's the head of public fundraising at Starlight Children's Foundation in the UK. Um, and Sam, is, and Sam, you may remember from our Over to You conference, uh, Sam was speaking at that. And I think you've done a couple of things with us, Sam, but at the very least, we want you to do a couple of things more with us um, because we love you. How are you, Sam? I'm fine. Thank you very much. Do, do you two know each other? Have you met, have you properly met before? Yeah, we. Sam was my first boss when I was like 18 years old. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. We've met. We've been to the pub. We've, you know. Okay. We do actually know each other. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Then we've got an added added dynamic there because because if Martha's worked with Sam, <laughs> then, uh, you you two can pull me. each other very out very on very what you're actually saying versus what you're actually doing. <laughs> So what I, what I want to get an idea from initially is is I, I really want to kind of chat about where we are as a sector. What is the state of the sector? Because obviously it's been a very like tumultuous last few years. But even before that, I mean, our, our sector is not one without um, um, controversy, with scandal, people having very different views on it. Martha, you talk about this a lot about, you know, some of the problems that are that are inherent in the sector, some of the, the racism that's out there, some of the, the systems that the, our whole sector is built on means that we're, you know, I get the feeling sometimes we're a sector that is is kind of handcuffed a little bit in terms of how much we can do. Uh, and I know, Sam, you talk a lot about this as well, about the kind of restrictions that, 
that have been put on us as charities and fundraisers and we have to work around that. But even I can see more and more conversations happening at the moment where people are really questioning what damage is the sector doing? You know, the no longer are we, does the charity sector automatically equal good? Um, but actually there's there's problems there. And, and I, I think a lot of listeners as well would point out that, you know, these problems have always been there. You know, if you go back to one of the things that inspired me to become a fundraiser, if you think about something like Band-Aid and Live Aid, which I thought of as a really lovely, beautiful thing, people were, you know, had lots of issues with that back then. And even more now, it's become much more accepted to actually question things like that. Um, so that's my long, waffly intro of really what I, what I want to pick your brain. But let me just ask you a very open-ended question to start off with. I'll start with you, Martha. What is the state of the sector at the moment? Like, uh, is the charity sector doing the right thing are we doomed is it is it totally outdated and and moot now or what what's your thoughts on our sector oh my gosh that's a really big question I know. I'll, say, I'll pick up on the the are we doomed part uh, <laughs> no I, ne I never think we're doomed um i i think you know what you said um to kind of open about now charities are you know not not doing good but like I, I've always thought of charities as as a place of kind of systemic violence anyway like charities have a very kind of specific oh no of course they have an imperial kind of like you know legacy right we're talking about like big the industry of charities like big charities particularly international development like they are born from a kind of philanthrop philanthropic form of imperialism um, so they were always kind of designed I think, to maintain the status quo, right? Um, and to kind of maintain this kind of haves and have nots, deserving and undeserving. Um, and this is kind of, you know, like the, the charity industry, like there are plenty of charities that are doing like amazing work and who are, you know, led by the people that they're there to support, who are thinking about how, how their role in like dismantling this kind of, you know, philanthropic imperialism. And in many ways, like even us as people who, really want to change the charity sector like we are also conscripted into maintaining the status quo anyway just by kind of being mm. in and around in and around these charities I don't think that charities are doomed in the slightest but I do think that yeah we need to move away from that kind of idea that charities whatever like good really and start seeing them as kind of being part of an industry I mean you know if we look at kind of the history of charities a lot of it was like you know wealthy white women <laughs> doing kind of you know deserving and undeserving poor kind of work um but I don't necessarily think that we're doomed right I think that would be a really I think that's yeah a, a I don't feel so defeatist about it. I think, you know, these problems are totally constructed, like they were made, which means that they can be unmade. I think that the charity sector needs to have a really kind of big reckoning with itself about, you know, what does it mean to really achieve mission? And if organizations aren't thinking about an end strategy, then they're not really thinking about achieving mission. And it's very rare that I find an organization that's thinking about how do we work ourselves out of existence more often than not? It's like, how do we raise more money um, or how do we, you know, support more people? But that doesn't necessarily mean that we're tackling the fundamental structural issues, you know, so much of it is like putting plasters on tornadoes. And of course, like your hands are completely bound by how political you can be. Um, because of the constraints of the charity sector. But unfortunately, the charity sector is not in a place where it's challenging 
systemic injustice like really kind of the root cause problems because it, it can't really it can't it's really kind of held held by its governance structures and held by um the charity commission in a way that means that we can never really achieve mission i think um but i don't feel like that's how things will always be i don't think we're doomed to you know be in that position whatsoever i personally don't know the answers and i per- I, I personally don't think i am the one who can dismantle any of this stuff either but i do think you know we're not asking ourselves the right questions like in the charity sector we're not basing our missions around like how do we actually like end this problem so much of it is about how do we ameliorate the worst parts of this problem um and that's where I'm a bit yeah charities aren't doing the right things I don't think it's hard because you you know I don't think I've ever met anyone in the charity sector who hasn't got in because they've got a good heart and good intentions I mean, I, 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 even as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm <laughs> I'm like, I've met some from. leadership teams and I would for the most part, you know, the sector has good intentions and and does does good work, you know, good impact for people. But, you know, there is this offset where we are when you come into the sector, you might have these notions and these dreams and these goals. But but you you know, you've said it yourself. It's like this this big beast that you're coming into where it's just been systemically set up in a way because of the inequity, because of what it's built on. It's about, you know, someone who has giving to someone who has not. It's it's almost impossible to shake that because no matter how well-intentioned or how forward thinking you are, you come in, you're in a, you're in a machine. And Sam, I, I want to get your thoughts on the state of the sector. Before, before you go to Sam, in. can I just quickly respond to that kind of yeah. good intentions and goodness? I think we've like reframed paternalism as like, being good or like good intentions and actually like going in and thinking I'm going to save the world rather than like how can I be in solidarity with people already doing that I think lots of people go into charities thinking that yeah I want to I want to do good but they don't even unpack like what that really means and like how the kind of yeah how there is something about you know I'm going to save everybody because I know what's best you know Mm. or like this organization is best place to like support people in Africa when actually like they don't know a single thing about about these these different kind of um you know these really kind of complex communities and with with really rich histories so I think there's I think being doing good has been like yeah confused with paternalism like quite a lot and that's something that I've had to unlearn myself where like you know, I think because I know X, Y, Z theory that like suddenly I'm an expert in <laughs> in all of this stuff, but actually, and so, yeah. And I think the, the very idea of like what we think is, is goodness is like steeped in Christian white morality. And actually like that's, that's something that needs to be unpacked properly. Like, what does it mean to like be a good person? Or what does it mean to like do good? Generally, we're confusing that with paternalism. And you, you can see that very clearly in the charity sector because you've got, you know, sometimes you've got two organizations who are doing opposite work. You know, say, for example, in Ireland, we have pro-life charities and pro-choice charities, you know, and they're, they're actively campaigning against each other. But because they're charities, they're good. And so, you know, it does kind of oversimplify it that there is this idea of good versus bad. You know, just because it's you think you know what's best for people doesn't make that a good thing, I think. And I think... Yeah, I think you're you're right to kind of stop me there and and actually kind of point that out, Sam. The 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 systems that we're we're in, and you and I have talked a lot. I think about 
people like Dan Pilata when we uh, and we talk about things like um, you know annual annual budgets, uh, you know twelve month targets to try and overhaul and change the world um, within these twelve month targets. What what do you think of the state of the sector? What do you think of the state of these kind of rules and these this this formula that we're working in as fundraisers or as nonprofit stuff? Where do you think we're at? Firstly, I think it's I think what Martha was saying about sort of Western societal structures, they're societal. I don't think they just exist in the charity sector, they exist across our entire societies. Um, and I think when you have something that's so sort of set in stone, it's very difficult to make that change. I think there's been a lot of things that have happened in our sort of most recent history since about 2015. I think maybe the Lobbying Act was the beginning of it. So when was that about 2012, I think. Um, I think our voices of influencing the societal systems has weakened, but the expectation put on us is to still be there to pick up the societal problems we're there to fix. And like you've just pointed out, you often have some charities that complete loggerheads with one another in terms of the fact that one is representing one ideology and one is one is representing one that completely contradicts that but it's still an ideology um i'm i'm I, I would say i agree with martha in that i am hopeful um i think we are in a very we're in a perfect storm um you know economically um from a from a UK government basis, in terms of you know the dregs of a government coming in and tr still trying to form some kind of um, strategy for the way that we might get out of this, um, I think there's a huge issue around taxation um, and and regula regulations that allow people with extreme wealth to get away without you know I think that. We, it's almost like somehow charities have taken up the responsibility of good governance and taxation to provide some key services to people as and when they need them. Um, and that's an incredibly messy situation in terms of kind of assets that we've had once as a sort of nationalised system being sold off, um, people making money from every single element. So I think it, it, at its heart, some of the problems we face are completely down to Western existence and you know, everybody wanting to make as much money as they possibly can. Um, but I do think that when you start narrowing down some of the issues and problems, I think there are a lot of more bolder voices challenging stuff. I don't, I mean, I think whereas I would, you know, cite there is sort of activism that is about trying to make change by highlighting things that are wrong. Um, and then there are kind of collaborators in terms of wanting to work with the status quo. And I guess that's where the issues then start to arise because you have to start working with the status quo within the structures that are part of the problem. So, yeah, I think there needs to be more activism from charities and, and, and sort of more movements set up. Um, you know, for us to still be, what, 60 years away from the civil rights movement to be talking about race is just a joke. Um, societally, I think we are seeing change. There are more children like my children who are mixed race because white middle class men or women marry black 
people um, and have children of, of and from an educational perspective, I learn more from my children or as much from my children as I do about what I read and understand because they're living that existence every day. Um, from a from a taxation perspective, I just find it baffling. Um, yeah. You know, that we're we're squeezing people. Mortgages are going up. You know, you have a government that's basically empowered for forty five days and makes it even blooming harder. It's just unbelievable <laughs> sometimes when you're then sort of thinking, right? I've got to try and plan ahead. I think charities are planning ahead slightly differently. I, I, yeah. you know, there's a concerted effort to not just think of this twelve month cycle and growth. I think that's something that bigger organizations can achieve but smaller organizations are talking more about you know break-even budgets being able to deliver the services at a particular level with their staff base um as they are um i think there's a huge amount of work going on in a lot of organizations around edi um and trying to kind of change those individuals that sit at the top of their organizations or the boards that govern them and making sure that they're more diverse I think like everything that I've observed in my 20 years in the sector, it's we're just very slow at moving. Um, and I mean, it's it's funny because I, I complain about that a lot, that the charity sector is slow. And I mean, I complain about the charity sector a lot. I complain about a lot of things a lot. But, you know, I wonder sometimes, are we too hard on the charity sector? <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure... Martha's well I'm not going to put words into not Martha's. hard enough yeah, yeah. Well, bear, bear, bear with me first but because we I mean because it goes so far beyond the charity sector you know it, it's politics it's capitalism it's the way the world has been built or or has has found itself and the charity sector trying to operate in that is really really difficult and I don't I don't think there's many people in the charity sector who, who would disagree with the fact that we we need to change things beyond the charity sector to have an impact on the work we do. We need to change taxation. We need to change kind of um, the equity that's out there. And But at the same time, we have people like, you know, politicians and the UK government saying that charities should be less political. And we even have fundraisers and people who work in the nonprofit sector, which I can never get my head around, who are, who are saying like charities should stay out of politics when, you know, really charities are politics. You know, they're trying to influence that. But I think, you know, sometimes I do think we're being a bit hard on the charity sector because, yes, we need those big, huge systemic changes, which can take time. But to go back to something, Martha, you mentioned at the earlier around plasters, it's like, you know, it is just the plaster on a tornado sometimes. But at the same time, do we we kind of need plasters sometimes, don't we? Like plasters have a place. If you if you like cut your finger off. It's all well and good saying, well, the system should be in place so you don't cut your finger off. But that's in that emergency moment, you need to you need the plaster. You need that emergency safety net. So, I mean, is there good? And I mean, can we be nice about the charity sector? Can we say that the charity sector are doing really, really good? Or, or is it our roles to really challenge it and not be too soft on it? Tell me, Martha. I mean, much like with any anything there is good and terrible all the, all the time there are organizations that are doing incredible work I would say that it's very easy for like us as like you know middle class like quite well established in our career people to be like yeah the charity sector is doing its best because actually the charity sector will serve us right mm -hmm. <laughs> but if you ask like a disabled poor migrant trans person they'll be like the charity sector does not give a crap about me right yeah. so it depends on you know who you ask, I think the charity sector is great at low-hanging fruit. 
<laughs> you know, and the funders make it so that you will will do the most low hanging stuff, you know, in order to create the most impact. It's all about quantity over quality, right? And actually about easy wins, I'd say, rather than trying to go out of your way to reach people who are the most kind of, you know, systematically and systemically excluded um, and oppressed, right? So the answer really depends on who you ask. Um, I would say that I have been able to be more fulfilled and more impactful in my work since I left the charity sector, right? So (laughs) operating as a business without having kind of, you know, the same constraints. And I'm sure you would feel quite similarly, Simon, you know, Mm. Um, not having those constraints means that we can be like really political and we can push the charity sector. Um, I I obviously think there's amazing work happening all the time. You know, one of my my close friends, Shay, um, she set up a charity, um, Glitch, which works, you know, supporting or ending online abuse, but particularly for people who experience multiple marginalizations. But ultimately, like, she's so constrained in, like, you know, how how she can operate, like, what what she can talk about. Um, and governance is, has, made, has made that quite hard. And actually, mm-hmm. you know, that's an organization who I think is doing like really, really, really incredible work, but still has like so many constraints and having to kind of operate within the system, having to bite its tongue. And I get like, there's like some games that need to be played. But like I said before, I don't think that the charity sector is irredeemable. Otherwise I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing. Right. Mm. Like otherwise it would just be torture for myself. But I think we need to kind of face facts that the charity sector is not what it thinks it is or not what it claims to be. Right. Mm. Um, and I think I'm fortunate enough that, you know, I get to I get to be in rooms with organizations who like genuinely want systemic change. But at the same time, I also get to be in rooms with organizations who are trying to rehabilitate their image by being close to me or by saying that they're anti-racist and then carrying on doing like the most racist shit possible. Right. So, nice. so I wouldn't say it's as black and white as though as, you know, all charities are bad or blah, 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 blah. But the system of charity is deeply, deeply, deeply flawed. And it's flawed in like a really ideological way because people are believe some believe something that I think is not true. Like that ultimately, like we're driven to do good work. Like I think we're driven to paternalism for sure. And that's something that I've had to like reckon with. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a roundabout answer to your question. Um, will you ask it to me again so that I can? Well, it, was, it was a bit of a roundabout question. So I'll, I'll, take, I'll take responsibility for that. But I think you make a really good, interesting point because that's true. I mean, you are, you know, as you say yourself, not in the charity sector anymore, or you, you know, you're you kind of sit on the fringes. And me as an organisation, not within a charity, it's very, it is very different from the days when I worked in a charity. Sam, you're in a charity. You're working in a charity now. Do you feel, I mean, your charity is very forward thinking, but you must kind of, you must acknowledge, I I would think that when you are working in a charity, you do have to censor yourself a little bit. We do see charities kind of keeping their heads down a bit, you know, when there's media outstorm because they just don't want any attention on themselves. Speaking from within a charity, how do we, how do we change that? How do we get braver as charities? How do we actually get more vocal and and allow ourselves to be challenged? Because being challenged isn't a bad thing. You know, being criticized isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's it's a learning opportunity. So how do how do we as a sector become more open to change and more open to criticism and more self-reflective? I think it's it's cultural. Um, you know, I'm I've been very fortunate in the charity I'm in, having invested a lot of its resources into 
creating a culture where we are challenging one another and we are listening to diverse voices and people from lots of different backgrounds telling us what we should be, how we should operate when we get something wrong. I think it's very, it's a very natural instinct to be quite defensive sometimes when you hear when you hear that. Um, but I think more broadly, we're lacking the ability to have the opportunity to work with government and other bodies at a really sort of basic strategic level. Um, you know, if we are going to change the structures, we need to change the structures of our governance. We need that change at government to take place in order for that to happen. So you're asking again, a lot of people who have a self-interest in the power they hold and don't want to relinquish in order for that to happen. So it's, you know, we're, we're talking time. We're talking that, you know, what Martha would like, what I would like, what you would like to see within the sector, it is going to take time. What I don't feel is that there's a forum in which, other than sitting on a podcast now with you two, um, <clears throat> where, where, where we're allowing that to happen. Mm. It's almost as if, you know, the institutions that are supposedly representing us, um, and I don't mean just the Chartered Institute of Fundraising, I mean, you know, bodies like the Charity Commission, etc. There doesn't seem to be a very accessible level of interaction with them. In some charities, I'm sure fundraisers feel that there's not a huge amount of interaction between them and their trustees and the boards. Mm. Um, and I think it's, it is it is about having much more openness. Um, I think also there's there's a capacity there's a capacity problem. I think anyone that I talk to in any charity at the moment, no matter what size, is just feeling like the expectations on what they've got to deliver on top of delivering their fundraising are just mind blowing. You know, to the point where really resilient, good people who've been doing this for a very long time are are leaving. I think you know the pandemic exacerbated that in terms of trying to recruit people into positions now, it's really hard, particularly yeah. kind of those that maybe lent themselves to more traditional community challenge events type things. I think you saw a lot of people just furloughed, maybe then made redundant. Um, and so if you're going out for roles in that, in that kind of area, it's really, really tough. And just collective thought, you know, if we talk about political opinions and you might think that everybody that joins the charity sector comes from a very left-leaning proper position you know position but conservatism is rooted in the roots of some good you know it's you know i hate saying it because it's not <laughs> a political alignment but in terms of thinking about the way in which my grandparents who were both traditional conservatives thought about their responsibility to their community and wanting to give back and giving to charity they were incredibly philanthropic in the way that they operated and i think this division you know, we, we are we are at a point of extremes. And I think there's one party that is drifting back to a more kind of traditional centralist ground where hopefully they may start listening. But there just needs to be so much change. And if you can't lobby governments because the Lobbying Act isn't allowing you to do it, how we how we are expecting that change to happen? You know, it's just it's it's bonkers. So you then start seeing you know, NGOs being set up that don't aren't granted charitable status. You know, the thought of not having the not having the ability to actually raise funds and then claim twenty five percent of that back through the gift aid scheme 
is is kind of like how how are they surviving? How are they managing to sort of operate in this landscape? Um, but I I can only see that the natural step for organisations that do want to become more activist in the way that they operate will be that they will relinquish their charitable status so that they can. Um, and then how, how does that work in terms of, you know, a members group that's trying to operate to do good in a, in a world where the governance <laughs> and structures around you don't, don't allow you to do it? Well, I mean, that's interesting because, I, I mean, I've worked with a few organisations who are pre-charity registration and, and eventually the question comes up. It's like, well, why are you even registering as a charity? Yeah. Because essentially all you're doing is entering into these, like, shackles that are going to make your work really hard. Whereas if you called yourself, I don't know, a social enterprise, suddenly you can operate in a completely different way while doing almost identical work. Yeah. Um, Martha, Martha, you're nodding your head. Yeah, no, I, I feel very similar. I mean, I, I've started doing lots of kind of fundraising strategy work with organizations who are not registered as charities, who are registered as limited companies or registered as CICs. And my advice to them is like, <laughs> don't register as a charity. But also, these are organizations that I think are doing the most transformative work and particularly yeah. around like political organizing within their communities. You know, I work with one organization that's thinking about how do we build a feminist movement and like a feminist movement. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure how much I can share about who they are and what they're doing, but, you know, of ordinary women who are doing, you know, I'm ordinary in like inverted commas because I think everyone is ordinary but like you know people who are not doing those kind of you know typical like political jobs but are like deeply involved in their communities and care about their communities and how do we bring that kind of like mutual aid plus political organizing together like that I think is some transformative stuff like and it's it's there that I want to focus my attention now because actually having been in the charity sector for long enough, I'm like, yeah, like the charity sector is not going to help us, right? I think the charity sector can act in support and in solidarity with these incredibly like transformative, like grassroots organizations. But the charity sector just needs to get the hell out of the way. Like charities need to get out of the way or learn how to work in partnership. And what I see happen more often than not is Charities think they're working in partnership, but what they're doing is colonialism, right? So they're going, stealing ideas from, you know, smaller organizations, pitching for funding together, not actually like giving power to these organizations whatsoever or treating them as equal partners in this and actually just creating these quite exploitative, extractive, like relationships of domination. So what I'm trying to do working with charities is talk to them a little bit more about like how to like really be in partnership and how to step back and recognize that they're not the experts. Like generally, like mm. lots of these organizations are experts in middle-class stuff. Yeah, for sure. But actually, <laughs> you know what I mean? Partners. And then they're like, what, oh, what, what middle-class class stuff do we get experts in? <laughs> well, I, I, that's what I'm finding. Like if I even I look at like, you know, feminist organizations in the UK, like I'm doing a lot of work with feminist organizations, like they seem to be very concerned with how can white women be equal to white men under the patriarchy or under kind of white supremacy. Whereas these grassroots organizations, it's like, how the hell do we liberate ourselves from the patriarchy and from white supremacy? And I, I've had to like really shift my focus to like these kind of grassroots, more like political, uh, political organizing groups, because I think they have the answers. Like I genuinely think that they yeah. do. Um, and yeah, so I, I mean, I'm not going to blame any, any organization that thinks that charity status is, is important for them. Like, you know, there are negatives and positives to all of this stuff, but 
I feel like I'm quite fortunate that I get to meet some of the most radical activists out there and they are not doing anything that looks like what we see in a mainstream charity. And they're surviving without institutional support, without the mm. funders, you know, they're surviving like through ethics of care. Um, and that's like something that has profoundly challenged me in like how I think about like what is success and like how to kind of build within a community. So I remain hopeful for civil society, <laughs> maybe not like yeah. charity like TM, you know, but I really remain hopeful that if we can actually like respect these these organizations and like respect their expertise, like we have so much to learn from them, right? And mm. so, yeah, like you, Sam, like I remain hopeful, but I remain hopeful about something very, very different, <laughs> I think. And yeah, I'm no, fortunate enough to get to see that. And I don't think lots of people in mainstream charities get to see how fucking sick these amazing like you know grassroots organizations are these grassroots activists who are like the most innovative because they've been innovating for time without the resources you mm. know without the pomp without the gala dinners without any of that stuff mm. um and you know they have they have the trust of their communities we don't i think mm. in the mainstream charity sector like we don't really have the trust of communities like that um so and maybe they're not getting the attention they deserve because they're not labeled charity they're not they don't have that kind of branding and that governance document that that we're kind of traditionally used to and maybe it is just is it is that new power is that the new power that's coming through where it's just it's a slightly different format i was going to ask martha how much you think brexit has exacerbated the that shift um, you know, just I've got an 18-year-old who's now at university, um, talks a lot about desperately wanting the next general election to come to make change, see change. Um, but, you know, the Brexit ticket was very much about leaning into everything you've been talking about sort of structurally in terms of empire, the old Britain, how things used to be, very sort of 1950s almost in its sort of tweenest vision of what, what we were all missing and were suddenly going to get back by leaving the European Union. And I just wonder whether that that sort of that sense of people searching for something that they feel they can belong to and identify with is really indicative of the fact that nobody really feels they belong to anything that the country in a sort of in a structured sense um, represents them anymore. Mm. I mean, I'm not. Sh I I don't have a, a great answer for that. Like, I'm not entirely sure. Like, how much Brexit has has changed that? Because, like, you know, these so many of these communities have been in like desperate situations since like way before Brexit. Like, while Labour were in government, you know, while Margaret Thatcher was in government, I'd say there's always been like radical movements that have happened like all over the place. But what happens? more often than not, is that they get subsumed into the state mechanisms. Like even like, you know, really radical organizers get poached by charities, mm. de-radicalized, <laughs> and then become part of kind of the state machinery, you know. And I feel like I have to be really vigilant against that myself, like in the work that I try and do. Like I want to be as kind of far away from the institutions as I can. Um, but do you so feel that they achieve any change when they are scooped up? Or do you, mm. do you actually think they just... I does it become part of the system? I think they become part of the system. Um, I mean, it depends. It, again, it depends who you ask. Yeah, you know, it literally depends who you ask. I had a conversation with my dad the other day, um, and we were talking about you know the Labour Party, blah 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 blah, and 
he was like, well, the Labour Party's never done anything for me. But my mom, like, the Labour Party is so amazing. They did this, that, and that in, like, the 90s, blah, blah, blah. My, you know, my dad, he's a black man. It's like, they've done fuck all for me. So, so, so it all really depends on who you ask. And, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I think that, you know, radical political organising is where it's at and where it's always been at, right? Um, and that, I think, has to have some kind of separation from the state in order for us to be able to, like, dream big and imagine something different. Like, I want to imagine beyond the parliamentary system that we have, right? And that requires some, <laughs> some distance from it, I think. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult question. Like, I think for some communities, Brexit has, like, drastically, like, changed their needs, right? For other communities, it's made absolutely no difference whatsoever, right? So... It's, I mean, I feel like my answer is always like, it depends on who you ask, which I feel like is a bit of a cop out. But <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think that's a fair answer to every question. It does depend because there's always exceptions and it's not like one rule for everyone. But I think I think overall it is really interesting to think about what is that dream that we're working towards? Like what? And, and, and as, as I want to start to wrap up because I'm conscious of your time. But what does that look like? You know, in your perfect vision does the charity sector even exist? Do these grassroots organizations exist? Is there a need for them? I mean, is that is that too too much of a utopia looking forward? Instead, what you know, what is a manageable future that we're looking towards? What do you think you're going to see in your lifetime? Do you think you're going to see the end of charity in a good way? Do you think you're going to see kind of just the whole restructure and we're going to be making progress? Or are we going to be having this conversation in 50 years? Like, you know, maybe 50 years ago, we would have been having quite a similar conversation as well. It's like, what what does it, what does the future look like? God, God knows. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 have, I have no idea. And I think what we were talking about earlier with kind of the urgency and like the KPIs and all of that stuff, like it prevents you from even imagining a different future because you're yeah. too busy putting your bandages on tornadoes to actually think, you know, if I took the time to really like reimagine a future, like what could that look like? What could that feel like? And we have to, like imagining is a skill, like it's a learned skill. Mm. I feel like the limits of my imagination have been set by white supremacy. Like I actually can't imagine a world where domination isn't how it's organized. You know, so like for me, like I'm having to like imagine what like a liberated, like, you know, domination free world could look like. And I'm like, OK, so everybody is genderqueer and trans and <laughs> we are all, you know, capitalism no longer exists. Like, what could that even like feel like, you know, mm. we're building our because for me, like so much of it is like building our connection back with the earth. Right. And like building mm. back so much knowledge of like ways to tend for the earth that were lost in the colonial project well weren't even lost in the colonial project just like decimated like I feel like some cultures have managed to kind of to to keep that um and I feel like I'm only just like learning how to imagine that and every time I think I'm imagining something radical I'm just reimagining a different version of white supremacy right so <laughs> so it's 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 tough you know but there are people out there who are actually dreamers and like in, in the BAME Online conference, the last one, there was someone who was talking about people who, you know, were enslaved, um, you know, on plantations doing whatever. Like, they would have thought that the life that we're leading right now is ridiculous. Like, that I, as a Black person, would be standing here, like, telling white people about themselves. Like, that would be ridiculous. But they dreamed of freedom, right? And we can do the same. 
Um, and it's just as pressing, to be honest, because like, you know, our planet is <laughs> dying. So, mm. so yeah, we need to get there quickly. But I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a skilled dreamer personally. Like, I don't know if that will ever be, be my skill. Um, unfortunately, I think I'm a bit too steeped in like white supremacy and institutional nonsense. But yeah, I, I often try and think of, of a different future for myself. And so much of it is like the way that like me and my friends are with each other. Like mm. that's the future, like based around care and honesty mm. and, you know, non-hierarchical. But again, like how the hell did, <laughs> do you imagine that within the society that we it, are in? It's, it's so interesting because you're right. It is like impossible to imagine a society without capitalism, without, you know, th- this kind of you know, working towards profit on everything. Like imagining a future like that seems impossible. And when you kind of try and talk to, you know, a normal square person about it, it's like, you know, it's very easy to dismiss that we could never get to that. But at the same time, I mean, if you you only have to look back to see how much it's changed, you know, and if you if you try to explain to people like the British monarchy, you know, you see that changing a lot. But if you were to say like, okay, we're all going to be governed by someone you know, who's just been told by God that they're the most powerful and most right. powerful. the divine right of kings. And, like and everyone thought ex- that was just forever. Just <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, when you think about it like that, it actually doesn't start to seem too far fetched that we could change things within fifty years. That you could actually, you know, especially with things moving quicker and quicker every year, you know, maybe we could completely overhaul society to a point where charity isn't even needed or doesn't even exist. It's, Sam, you're you're a you're a, like most people. I like you're a cynical dreamer. <laughs> what does what does your future look like? Um, I mean, I think it's all very fundamentally linked to van- values. And um, you're going to say vampires? I was like, no, oh no, my God. no sorry. I also thought you were going to say vampires. I was like, oh my God, where's this going? <laughs> no, in a capitalist society, we are trained and indo- indoctrinated into greed really aren't we it's about having having as much stuff as we can possibly have ourselves um i mean i was very fortunate in terms of my upbringing and i saw a kind of community a value in community and belonging um so i would say for me i i would like to live in a world where everybody felt like they belonged um and I do think charities have a role in that. I think that there is a role for charities to play. I think that by our very nature, we will we will always maybe react just at the last minute. So I kind of I'm hopeful that you know the changes we need to see in the next fifty years, as Martha said, the planet is dying. Um, will will hopefully reverse that. I you know I don't know how irreversible it is. I'm not a scientist. My son is studying zoology. He wants to go into conservation. I kind of think that you just, um, a bit like Martha was talking about that kind of community level social action, activism. You've, you've, I think more and more of that will happen. And then it's about how do you, do charities have a role to play in that? Probably not, because then otherwise they're sucking that into the system we need something else. We need this other thing mm-hmm. to materialise that's about how those groups start coordinating themselves. And when you see that happen and you see that kind of true sense of collaboration coming from a kind of an activist and mobilisation, that's when you'll that's when you'll see that change happen. Um, I guess my fear is that there's going to be a, a, an awful lot of hard 
violent protest in order for it to happen just because of the resistance of the status quo in that change. So I'm kind of fearful of that. Um, I think things are quite cyclical. You know, I, I, I would imagine a lot of people feel very similar to the way that they did maybe towards the end of the, the 80s, the poll tax riots, those kind of things. I can feel, you know, there's a lot of people calling for a general election. We've just had two prime ministers that weren't even elected by anyone other than 200,000 people or 300 and something MPs. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of, it's almost like we're hitting the rock bottom of this cycle, what's going to happen when we come out of it. And that, if it is a Labour government, I think Starmer is slightly more left than that centralist Blair government. So I'd have some hope that we may see some more improvements and change, but we really need to. You know, the, the, the kind of the, the, the state system is on its knees in every single area, you know, from policing to nursing to laws, barristers, magistrates, people, you know, people people that you would hold in these kind of, in my mind, at least, being safe and, you know, that you would always be secure if you were a nurse or a teacher or a policeman or you went and worked for the state. They can't, you know, they're people that are making up the lines of people going to food banks for food and having conversations in their own homes about whether or not they can heat the house or feed their children. So, you know, it's like we are we are at rock bottom. And so it's about how do we build, like I was saying earlier, there needs to be some kind of strategy of what role does a charity have in the immediacy to get us out of this moment? And then what happens beyond that is about the, the, the you know, the current system changing itself to allow these activist groups to form communities and pull us out of it. Yeah, I mean, I think like, like all, both what you're saying there and... Um, and just generally kind of how we view the future. I mean, at times it does make me feel a bit like sad or concerned or, you know, there's that hopelessness sometimes. But at the same time, when I talk to people like like you guys and just kind of talk about the possibilities, there is hope there, you know. And I do I do think I'm excited to see what what it can be, you know, and I'm excited to see kind of what role we can all play in that and i think i think that that's a good place for us to finish is I, I would just like to turn to you kind of one last time and just you know firstly um tell people where where they can find you because i know you you're both reasonably active on on social but also what what can what can a fundraiser who's listening do like what's a step that they can take after they switch off this podcast to kind of really make a better world and i think i mean one of the things that comes to my mind from what you both said is just being more open to well criticism and open to feedback and and open to that self-reflection where it's like okay we don't have all the answers my organization might not be doing everything it should be doing but again that's not a bad thing to be criticized or called out on that but it's like as long as i'm open to it it means there's hope for change it, yeah, the only time there's a problem where we put shut down mine would be to walk towards individuals that think differently to you you know, be willing to be challenged and see and embrace that, actually. Broaden your mind. Um, you know, I love meeting Martha for a drink because, one, she challenges me in a way that doesn't make me feel defensive. Um, and, and two, she's really good fun to hang out with. Um, Very true. Likewise. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think that's where, that's where true change happens, is where people start just walking towards what they deem other. Um, and realizing it's not something to fear, but it's something to embrace and learn from. 
I like that. Sam, where's the best place for people to find you online? What's your social media du jour? I'm such an old duffer. I mean, Facebook is probably where really? I'm most active, which is awful. But um, I am on Twitter. I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, so, yeah, I would imagine most other people are on Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter. Very good. And we'll put links to your stuff in the, in the podcast description. Martha, final say, where, what, what's your thing? for? You've got a lot of advice for a lot of fundraisers, but try and give us one. One thing. Um, I would say investigate interrogate your relationship with white supremacy imperialism patriarchy transphobia ableism all of them ones yeah because we like i said before like we automatically go into this work thinking that we're doing good and like that will actually stop us from ever critiquing ourselves right and you know from ever kind of you know yeah think thinking that what we might be doing is potentially harmful like just you know investigate your your relationship with all of these oppressive systems like don't shy away from the fact that that makes you feel uncomfortable because that's where the sweet spot is isn't it when you start feeling a little bit like uncomfortable that's when you know that you're in a place where you can make a choice um and for me like it's a choice that you make you can choose to you can choose to refuse to comply with this you know imperialist nonsense um but yeah get yourself to that place where you 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 understand what the choice is um, and that requires a lot of learning, a lot of difficult conversation, um, and a lot of internal reflection. But I believe that we can all do it. Um, and as you said, like people come into this sector for a reason. Um, we can also change this, the sector for the same reason. Love it. I knew I loved you guys because it's, you, you have that cynical hopefulness, which is is my favorite quality in people where you can actually like challenge and criticize but there's always it there's always that hint of hope and and that's why i'm really grateful for you guys making the time to chat to me and um martha awajobi sam butler anyone who's listening please do follow these two and keep an ear out for them like i said every time i hear them speak something explodes in my little brain where i start to think differently um so yeah i'm really grateful for your time guys and it was really lovely to chat to you thanks for having me yeah all right okay goodbye everyone thanks for listening uh, do check out fundraisingeverywhere.com for all of our upcoming events and on-demand content. Uh, do follow us on social media to keep uh, in touch with what's happening. Uh, and if you're not already subscribed to our podcast, do subscribe to our podcast because we'll have plenty of great content coming up. Uh, take care, everyone. Look after yourself, mind yourself, and do reach out to us if you want to get in touch. All the best. Mm-hmm.